What's up, everybody? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. Sucks. I'm Justin. <laughs> and on the stack, we talk about a ludicrous amount of books. I know. This is a lot of books. This is a lot. This is a lot. So I, was supposed to be, I was supposed to be watching my children, and I spent the day literally reading comics. I was like, whoops. <laughs> well, listen, lots of good stuff to talk about. Maybe some bad stuff to talk about. Sure. Let's see what happens. But kicking it off with Tim Drake Robin, number one from DC Comics, written by Megan Fitzmartin, art by Riley Rosmo. This is picking up on, I want to say, the short story that they had running in the back of maybe Detective Comics and spinning out of there. Tim Drake has come out as bisexual. He's dating a dude. They are kind of superheroing together a little bit. And now he's living on a boat on the dirty living old pier and investigating mysteries. Living on a boat. Uh, Tim Drake, he needs Wi-Fi. This I'll whole thing why. is Wi-Fi. I love this book. I love it. This, so good. Yeah. Go I, I feel like T- Tim Drake, great Robin. Uh, a Robin that um, I loved, uh, especially growing up. He there was sort of go. the Robin when I first started reading and was like all on board with Tim Drake. And the fact that he is reading this book made me think about the different aspects that each of the different Robins sort of uh, personify for Batman. And Tim Drake's the detective. He's the Sherlock. He's the, he's the one who can really break that down. And seeing that on display here, the Riley Rosmo are, and, and really putting Tim Drake in a place the same way uh, Nightwing has been able to really occupy Bloodhaven and different uh, parts of the DC universe uh, when, uh, when he was um, in uh, Checkmate and all that. Like, I feel like this is just a great like flag put in the world for Tim Drake, and I really loved it. You, yeah, you hired me at R squared. Rosmo art is just, uh, I'm a sucker for it every time. Uh, but you never trust a person who has a boat. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you don't know. trust anyone who has a boat? <laughs> Nobody. You don't trust anybody. If they got a boat, can't trust it. Interesting. Um, but, um, what, what about is the just... U.S. sailing team? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Pete, what about the whole, someone who. The whole lot of them are a bunch, a collection of shady <laughs> individuals. What but about someone oh, who I know is a close personal hero, Captain Crunch? Yeah, You've trusted yeah. him your whole life. Yeah. How are you so coming out on him now? Milk with his crunchy old cereal. Uh, I just want to say, real quick, on that note, though, I love the idea of fleshing out Gotham's Pier. It was one of those things where when they introduced it to the book, and I think this is credit to Megan Fitzmartin's writing here, the idea of, of course, Gotham would have a dingy pier that a bunch of weirdos live on. We haven't really seen that before, but I love that as a setting. It's great. Agreed. It can be a collection of not just crime people, criminals, also known as criminals, but also <laughs> like uh, strange, uh, strange people, people from like, uh, like it feels like these p- women who are murdered here are witches in a weird way, like Roald doll style witches in a weird way. Um, so like, it's a great place where it's like a nexus of different parts in the universe. And let me just say, when we get the shot of the pier from the overhead, it looks like shit. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but it's cool that that whole panel layout is really cool. The cross section of the boat is really cool. Uh, you know, it's bananas art, just absolutely bananas art. And there is a ghost monkey type figure in this comic, so that that makes sense. It's fun. It's also very romantic. The relationship between Robin yeah, and his yeah. new boyfriend is very cute, and I love even though they're six sure. months in, they're still kind of giddy about each other. 
Really enjoying this book. I didn't know what to think getting in because there's so many bad books, but this really already has found its own niche even in the first issue, and I'm very much enjoying it. Let's talk about another one-shot here, Onyx One-Shot from Image ah. Comics, created and produced Slam. by the OGs themselves, Chris Ryall and Gabriel Rodriguez. Now, this is introducing a... A guy who is in space armor who is investigating weird monsters who live on Earth that are maybe hiding out, but is not Rom Space Knight and not looking at the diorats. I want to be very clear about that. It is not that. Yeah. It is an it's original different. property, even though I believe Chris Ryle wrote Rom back in the day, so knows his way around there. But the standout here, of course, beyond Seems- Chris Ryle's steady writing is Gabriel Rodriguez's art. Always great to see him on a new property. Pete, I want to hear from you on this. Well, first off, you were kind of like, you were confusing that because you were like, well, this is not Rob, but it's written by the guy who did Rob. And it's, uh, I mean, it's clearly like them taking, in in a very similar way that Radiant Black is Kyle Higgins definitely not doing Power Rangers. Onyx is Chris Ryle definitely not doing Rob. Like it's taking those ideas and then finding an original spin on it is basically what I'm saying. Yes. Okay, cool. So, yeah, the first <laughs> off... Had to clear the air there. Why are you mad, bro? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of reasons. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's fun to see Gabriel Rodriguez's art uh, in different uh, ways and also with different characters and the different takes he has on things. So, really cool, uh, especially the suit stuff and also the kind of like a little navigation screen that kind of like it would appear... Um, very just, specific thing to call out. Yeah, it's just <laughs> uh, there's uh, there's just kind of like subtle ways that his art pops and does amazing stuff. So sorry for being specific and pointing stuff it. out I, that I, I enjoyed. I, I love it. I'm saying um, I, I'm here for it. I also really enjoyed the font and the type. If you want to get into that as well, but uh, yeah, cool kind of first issue setting up. Uh, that there's stuff going on that we don't understand or know about. I'm always into that kind of stuff. So cool, fun, solid first issue. Gets you excited for more. Uh, yes, please, more. Um, yes, I don't. I mean, this is a pretty uh, – I'm curious. Is there more? I mean, this uh, is a one-shot, and if anything, this is kind of a graphic novel in one issue that goes through the entire art. Which is uh, arc, which is very cool. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if people if it sells enough, yeah, there might be more. Well, and let me say, as much as Ram um, is the sort of direct reference, I feel like I got a lot of um, aliens. If mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a predator was on their side, and there was another menace, uh, which I feel like is with the Onyx. Onyx sort of has that predator energy. If if they were um, on the side of <laughs> on the good side, um, so it's cool. And just to shout out Gabriel Rodriguez's art a little bit harder. Like, who does better faces in comics besides wow. Gabriel? Like the way the expressiveness of the characters, every character down to random dude on the spaceship who's just like a full. You look at him, you're like, that's a full human who lives their own life, and they're not part of this story, but they have their own story, and that is something that most artists just do not do. I always appreciate looking at, at any Gabriel Rodriguez panel. Yeah. If you're looking for something that is a crazy space action story that feels right out of the 80s or 90s and is its yeah, own complete it package in the one issue, definitely check this out. Next up, uh, all the guys are coming home to roost this week. We got the roadie number one from Dark Horse Comics written by T- oh, Touchy Feely Tim Seeley himself. <laughs> 
Yep. Art by Fran Galan. In this issue, we meet the roadie of the title, who is working for a bunch of rock bands, lamenting the rise of rap, and also fighting demons in his spare time. Great concept. Right in Tim Seeley's wheelhouse. I had a lot, I had a blast reading this. This feels like a nicer version of the scumbag, the Rick Remender book, yeah. a little bit, with some demon inflected stuff at the same time. And I had a fun time reading this. I, I also felt that, some but, Rick Remender. Yeah. Uh, P, uh, P, I just want to. You have the. You're the closer. You're like, and if this were at a concert venue, I'm the opening act. Uh, <laughs> Alex is the announcer. I'm the opening act. You're definitely the closer here. So just okay. give me a second. Sure. Um, but they uh, first off, touchy feely Tim Seeley. They're <laughs> Backstory on that nickname, which we should explain, because that's sort of a heavy-handed yeah, nickname. Yeah, it's a little upsetting to, to hear it if you don't yeah. know the context. 100%. Um, that extends back to our days uh, on the con floor interviewing folks. Um, Pete, huge Hackslash fan. We all are Hackslash fans, but Pete, maybe the number one, gets mm-hmm. up with t- t- Tim Seeley. We get a camera on them, and they can't stop hugging. They <laughs> can't stop hugging. Touchy-feely Tim Seeley is born. Um which was great, but this, I agree. This has, uh, if you're a fan of uh, fear agent from Rick Remender or this comeback from more recently from Rick Remender sort of shares a little DNA there, but it's uh, sort of definitely rooted in the Tim Seeley world of like, Hey, Satan's around. What's up with this uh, group of people? <laughs> and definitely in the sort of music scene, strong takes on what music is cool in here, which I appreciate because no one does that. Uh, yeah, so first off, I mean, Tim Seeley's uh, history or past or whatever aside, uh, what's great about this is the layering of the story. You think like, okay, we're going to kind of get this scumbag setup of a roadie, the guy who's, you know, been on the road, seen all the stuff and, you know, knows how to deal with groupies or whatever. And then there's this kind of big reveal, which I think is great and gives it the real kind of uh, a, a push of what this story is about. Uh, really impressive. The use of, uh, music in this comic, you know, Zelvin likes to talk to uh, writers and artists about the kind of layering of music in comics and how that's hard to do. There are panels here where it's just the kind of lyrics of the song that are kind of playing over what's happening, which is a very cool, creative take that I really appreciated. I, I What was cool about this was it was uh, Tim Seeley, but the art kind of really elevated it. It really brought uh, this to a different place than I was expecting. As someone who's a fan of Tim Seeley and very used to his work and, and kind of his wheelhouse, it was nice to see him kind of do something that felt different and uh, was cool. I mean, I'm very interested to see how this is all going to play out. It was such a crazy introduction of the devil, like coming out of the television in well, such a. Yeah, I want to highlight that. Like, uh, I feel like uh, Tim Seale, a huge horror fan, it seems like. Yeah. And this moment where a, a demon uh, presence comes out of the TV, I would have loved to see Tim Seeley's face when that panel came back to him. Yeah, That right. page came back to him because he, that's like a, straight out of a horror movie, just killer page. The friend Galan art is excellent. And yeah. you can tell the roadie has been through so much shit because nothing phases him. You know what I mean? Like if if I was watching TV and someone crawled out of it, I wouldn't still be in that room. You know what I mean? But a roadie's what like, if it was oh, Ted Lasso? Crawled yeah, out of your TV? Yeah. yeah and it was like, hey, Pete, believe. 
<laughs> I'm still running, bro. Still You're out of there. People. Ted Lasso yeah. comes through. He um, has a little cocktail with you, your buddy. In seven days, you're going to feel great. <laughs> anyway, this book is also great. I just want to one last little note here. This is 100% definitely for adults. There's nudity. There's violence. There's a lot of sexual content going on here. But definitely excited to see how this continues. Next up, Dark Spaces. Well, you just sold that to a lot of kids. That was a nice job. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, these were my it. first titties. Dark Spaces <laughs> Wildfire, number one, from IDW Publishing, written by Scott Snyder, art by <laughs> Sherman. In this issue... Bunch of firefighters who are, I don't know if this is technically accurate, but kind of on parole. They're basically a work uh, group that is allowed to leave prison in order to fight fires in the forest. Hatch a plan to rob a house. We already know that it's going to go horribly wrong from pretty much the first page. So that's weighing over them. Um, I... I, I love this. I think, like, Scott, this is right. Keep tall. This guy's a good writer. Wheelhouse, but this is definitely, it is wheelhouse down to, like, okay, here's how forest fighters work uh, right in the first couple of pages, which seems like a very classic Scott Snyder setup before it starts to get dark and horribly wrong. But Hayden Sherman's layouts are yes. phenomenal yeah, really cool. here. Like, Come so on, good. Dude. So much experimentation going on. Just love the looking at this book. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Like this, Scott Snyder sort of superhero teams, uh, real life firefighting, like forest firefighting here in this book, um, giving us the breakdown. I could just see him diving in, like licking his lips and just getting into some uh, how firefighting works. Uh, Yum, yum. Give me that forest fighting, forest firefighting facts. Uh, And like the great sort of twist uh, that sort of the parentheses on the story from the beginning and end, I thought was super effective, really got me. I'm definitely on board. The the idea, if we could just rebake the premise for you, it's a high story set in the middle of a forest fire. And that's fun. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is just such a kind of interesting setup and then you know cuz you're already like holy crap i can't imagine somebody who's badass enough to run into a fire uh but then you kind of have this different presence of these people who are kind of like these badass women team of firefighters and kind of what their deal is and then this kind of like pitch of like, hey, I kind of know about this house and all this stuff. It's it does such a good job of like getting you new information as the story's going to kind of ramp things up and get you more and more excited and more and more into this world. And yeah, I can't say enough about the art and the page layouts. This is some really great comics. Well, just to mention the way that Scott sort of steps back and allows Hayden Sherman to lay out information only visually, essentially the idea of like the people thinking about this, them remembering this as they're narrating other things, I thought was really phenomenal just in terms of visual storytelling and very unique and not at all what I expected from this book. It's, I believe this is the first book from ITW Originals, which is their new line that has been tasked to create original stories and create things that are not licensed because IDW very much has become known for their licensed properties at this point. This is a great first start. 
I'm great excited. launch. Great launch. Hell Good yeah. job, IDW Originals. Next up, DC Horror presents Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead, number one from DC Comics, written by none other than Bruce Campbell, art Whoa. by none other than Eduardo Riso, who Woo-hoo. does exactly what the title tells you. It's Sergeant Rock fighting zombies in World War II. Pete, this seems right up your alley. What did you think of this one? Yeah, this is a great kind of setup for a huge showdown. Like, they do a great job of this issue just being like, okay, here are the good guys. This is what's coming. This is how this is all going to kind of play out. I think it's such a cool kind of like... Oh, yeah, let's see this versus. Let's see how this goes down. And let me just add, just lay out, Pete, are you on the Sergeant Rock side or the undead Mm, Nazis That's a great question. Do you like like the Nazis or do you like... You haven't really defined which side. Yeah, I'm not going to be the team zombie Nazis. Sorry to disappoint you guys. Mm. I don't know. I'm not disappointed. I just wanted to be clear. Okay. Okay. Because you didn't really define it. You said uh, you knew who the good guys were, but you didn't say who. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not the zombie Nazis or not the good guys. Mm. All right. Okay, that's your take. That's our review of. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Uh, you guys are disappointed. No, uh, I love it. Uh, Bruce Campbell, you can almost hear his voice in the narration. In the it's written sparingly, sort of the way uh, Bruce Campbell talks in his movies, and the Eduardo Riso art. I was while I was reading this, I was like, how did they? work this deal to get Eduardo Riso on board because it's so good. It fits so well. It's a really nice Pete page package. Well, I, I want to throw out there also, it is more restrained than I would have expected from Bruce yeah. Campbell. Like, yeah. it's not nonstop jokes and quipping or anything like that, the sort of or thing that I expected going in. About- it's a legitimate story that pits Sergeant Rock and his troop against the zombies Obviously, there's some big, bold, crazy flourishes there, but I don't know. This worked for me much better than I expected. I thought it would be a stunt, yeah, I and was, it's more than that. Yeah, I was the, pe- the Pizza Papa and Bubba Hotep cameo was a little over the top for me, but <laughs> yeah, sure. Much. Oh my God. Good stuff, though. Flawed number one from Image Comics, written by Chuck Brown, art by Prenzy. This is a new vigilante who is going after people that have done the dirtiest deeds imaginable. What'd you guys think about this one? <laughs> Deeds the dirtiest done. deeds of the dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Oh if my you god! Huh. Uh, yeah, you well, can say first that. First off, I I love the kind of hero in this book. I thought uh, she was badass in in all the right ways, and I think that uh, you know they do a really good job of. Uh, showing the action, like the angles and stuff like that. It's really, it's very cool. They do a good job of like giving you that wide shot and then kind of like coming in and stuff for all the fights and 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 showing. Well, all and the and fun she's growth. a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, I think. Well, that, okay. that's how I, I feel like the difference maker in this book is it's rooted in psychiatry, which is something I haven't seen like a. Uh, a psychiatrist superhero uh, is rare, and the the way the story spins into um, the, the supernatural, I thought was, was surprising. I didn't expect it, and it, it led me to really <laughs> lean in and be like, "What is this world that we're seeing?" <laughs> uh, yes, I agree. I, I wanted a little more of it. This definitely felt like pilot episode image comics to me a little bit. You know, I read mm-hmm. these books mm-hmm. where it's like, here's the concept. 
tune in for next month. Um, but I like the art. I like the concept enough that I am willing to pick up issue two. And I just want to delve more into the characters at that point. Let's move on. Talk about Briar. Number one from Dark Horse Comics yes. written by Christopher Cantwell. Art by Jermaine Garcia. You can probably figure this out from the title a little bit, or you get it pretty quickly, but it's a twist on the Sleeping Beauty story where Sleeping Beauty was never woken up, and what happens after uh-huh. that, it spins out very quickly into this wild fantasy, post-apocalyptic journey thing that's going on. This is awesome. The The, the writing was not what I expected. The art is phenomenal. It spins out in wild ways. Justin, it looks like you want to jump in here. Yeah, I'm a Justin, I was jump a, in. I was a huge fan of this. Like, I feel like we, I think this, this stack episode, especially, we have a ton of great writing on display. We're going to talk about a lot of great books. We already have talked about a lot, of, a lot of great books. And this book, on top of in that moment, still stands out for just really catching me off guard with um, how great the actual just text is and then the the premise of a sleeping beauty that didn't wake up for uh like political reasons which i thought was really cool and then uh, suddenly we're in like a uh, post-apocalyptic fairy tale essentially by the second half of the book i think is such fertile ground i can't i want to explore this whole world i love this first issue yeah i was really impressed with uh uh, kind of the jumping off point here. They've taken something we've seen and know very well, and then just the different twists and turns that happens and how the art really tells a great story and how this character um, really would react to all this. I thought it was very creative, super fun. Also love the map we got at the end. I'm a sucker for a good map. Uh, so loves you, the map. Should, you should check out an atlas or Google Maps, perhaps. Oh, you're going to love Waze. I'm going to get you Waze for your birthday this year. <laughs> you're going to love it. Here's my one question about this, and this is maybe a little bit of a concern, but I, I love this issue enough that I'm more than willing to give the second issue a chance, is how much does this connect to Sleeping Beauty as it continues? Because by the second half of this issue... It's not really Sleeping Beauty anymore. It's gone off in wild directions. I love the directions it goes into. But in order to continue the concept of the book, I feel like you got to be revisiting that a little bit in some ways. So I'm curious to see if they're really going to do that or if it's just going to spin into a beautifully drawn post-apocalyptic tale, in which oh, case that's... that's also fine. Yeah. Well, I think there are some elements that we're going to see continued here. Um, there's... A... The Sleeping Beauty is awoken by a, a mysterious stranger's uh, kiss. So, like, I think that's part of the mystery that will continue to be uh, unfolded here. And, and then we also get to sort of a new like, prophecy. Just uh, smooching skeletons. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of creep I'm does that? i that. I live by I'll Greenwood Cemetery. I'm every night. I'm out there digging up graves and kissing skeletons. Why? Why would just you do in that? Case you, in case you get a wake up. Yep. Just in you case wanted, you get a wake up. Yep. That's what, what, you That's what I you go, Hey, uh, sorry about this, but uh, I guess she's skeleton. And now true I'm love. doing a service, man. I'm doing a service. Yeah, if you got a true love wake up, I mean, you got to do it. It's like if you kiss a bunch of frogs and one of them turns into a prince or princess, like, I mean, you can't. Case can't closed. About style, it. You, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. DC you shouldn't be kissing frogs? That's right. Oh, that's cheating. Okay. I'll, just, that's cheating? I'll just, I'll just yeah. change my life. I'll stop kissing frogs and kissing skeletons. I'm I sorry, wish you Pete. would. You're married. You can't do those things. I guess I can't kiss frog skeletons either. That's that correct. 
Well, that's the last time I kiss you awake, Pete. <laughs> that's the way you want to be. I wish you would stop doing that. It's a horrible it's a, way to wake it's up. It's expensive, just expensive commute for me. But I, I thought it was nice. It was a little, uh, little romantic alarm clock between me and you. DC versus Vampires, number nine. Yeah. DC Comics, written by James Town IV and Matthew Rosenberg. Art by Otto Schmidt. There it is. surprises me every time. You paused and then he didn't do it, and then he did it right when you moved on. That's <laughs> friendship. That's Dude, how this is our this this is issue, chemistry. They're trying to get Supergirl to a place where she can see the sun again so she can become super strong. Meanwhile, a bunch of other things are going on in the DC universe that has been taken over by vampires. Pete, you're stoked about this one. Take it away. All right. First off, you got Bergie and JT4 together on one project. I mean, come out. What more do you want? This Otto is Schmidt. just that's what I want. The art is good. The, art, is. the art's bananas good. Um, I I just think that this is just such a fun heightening of things that we already know. The fun matchups, the crazy conversations, the fun reveals. They do such a great job of like pitting these characters against each other in such a cool way. The Black Manta reveal, not to spoil anything, was so great. I'm having such a blast with this. This is just over-the-top fun uh, with characters that we already know and love. It's uh, it's like the best of uh, playing with somebody else's toy box. It, it is just, it's it, I can't recommend it enough. First off, shout out. This is one of four JT4 books we're talking about this week. So, so shouts crazy. to that four guy. Four to the four, Just bro. Come on. Naked. Yeah, exactly. He's always got four bangers every week. Um, and then... I, this book has gotten to the point, you know, in an action movie where it's just like quips, where you get you're in such a climax where it's just like lines, like yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, and then just banger lines back and forth. That's what this issue felt like to me. It's just jumping to different seeds. It's just like intense, awesome things. Aquaman, you know, when you become a vampire, you take off your gold fish scale shirt and you put on like a batter ass uh, outfit. Makes yep. sense. Uh, we get a great scene there. Great stuff with Green Arrow. This is the, if you, green. This is the most badass Green Arrow yeah. situation. Uh, it really yeah. is. I, I can so read good. a whole spinoff about Green Arrow in this world. That was absolutely my favorite part. That was killer. Loved following him. And it's I love the so idea good. of just like a regular human who's just very good at arrows trying to navigate a post-apocalyptic world that's been taken over by If only there was a great TV show called Arrow that went on for like eight oh, seasons. Sorry, you're out of, out of time to talk. I just want to on. shout out, yeah. also, lo- the use of loose cannon in this book I thought was also <laughs> very good. Just like sort of a shitty character to bring back and then dispense with in a, in a sort of shitty way. Beautiful. Next up, Old Dog, number one from Image Comics by Hey, did Declan. we already talk about that one? Shalvi, who we had on our live show just last week to talk about Old Dog. Now, we'll do spoilers here since we can't get to really talk about that on the live show. But in this book, we meet a spy who is going on a mission. Here's the big spoiler. It isn't abundantly clear until the end of the issue that you're seeing him in two different timelines. The mission that led to him being in a coma and the mission that picks up later when he is already rolled and has like basically Wolverine-style healing abilities. But like I mentioned on the live show, I love that. I loved getting to the end of the book, seeing those two timelines coalesce, realizing what was happening and going, wait, what? And then going back and reading the entire issue again with that knowledge. I thought that was so well-structured. And of course, you have Declan Chalvey's immaculate art, which is perfect for this sort of thing. 
First off, it's fucked up that you age in a coma. Mm-hmm. That should be a pass. You should yeah. get to chill. <laughs> Hard pass. Yeah. Not into you can't you're not Rip Van Winkling underneath an apple tree or whatever. You need like if you're in a full on hospital coma, you should be able to maintain the pure, pristine, wrinkleless face. One hundred percent agree. Good comments, and everybody. That's it. Great. Um, that's that's it. it. I, I, I had really like we talked about this with with Declan. Like this, this book is cool. The fact that um, just just from a look at the cover, and you just see the uh, intensity and emotion across the board there, and that is extended through the book. Um, and we get a nice reveal beyond what Alex just said at the end of of this book, and um, it's just the beginning of setting the stage here. I think. Yeah, the art is just absolutely fantastic. I love the action. It's it's really fun reveal that does make you want to go back and read it. I mean, everything we said when we talked to him was was was, was true and spot on. So this is this is an impressive book. I'm happy it's out and other people get to check it out. And we actually have a sponsor for this week's episode. So to talk about that a little bit, Frankenculture presents uh, the Frankenculture podcast, a bi-weekly video game podcast hosted by three friends. Sounds familiar. We're friends, nice. right? Nice. We're friends. Yeah, okay. We're confirming that. Pete? We, we have to Pete? be friends for this commercial, yep. Pete, so get yeah, on yeah, 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 we're okay, friends. there we go. Based out of Vegas, they've got weekly news coverage, video game reviews, live streams, Vegas, and they baby. end each episode with a rousing game of Video Game 20 Questions. If you love video games and hearing people talking about them, then check out the Frankenculture podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Twitch, YouTube, Dead Drops, and remember... Frankenculture was the podcast, not the monster. Oh, oh yes. Wow. Love it. Oh, wow. I wrote that line. I wrote that line. Did you nice. Like that? Yeah. Did that you really? Feel like... Yeah, I did. I, I, did I like it less now. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Why don't wow. we move on to the comic book reviews then? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 100 from Dark Horse Comics, Woo! written by Ryan Parrott, art by. Oh, actually, sorry. This is from Boom Studios, right? Written by Ryan Parrott, art by Moises Hidalgo and Marco Retta. This is bringing Ryan Parrott's run on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to an end. We talked about this book pretty sporadically, but what did you guys think about this one? Yeah, it is Boom. Great, thanks. Nice, great. That's Doing the review. research again. Yeah. Just um, really summing no, this these up is, very nicely. Th- this is, uh, I mean, this feels like a hundred issue. Like it's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, crazy things happen. There's a real ramp up here. Uh, just. Uh, it feels like a really good Power Rangers book. Like you kind of hope it's going to be when you see something like this and they really deliver on it. There's a lot of cool character moments, some real badass villain stuff going on here. I very much enjoyed it. They are morphing at different points. They're pretty powerful. Like they cover all the the words they need to in this. Nice. Um, I also think it's very funny. Like, they, there's so much mythology that's been added to this world in a good way, and I think it, it works, and there's great emotional beats in this issue. But it's very funny to me that they even call out, they're like, wait, your gun is a Cretaceous cannon or whatever? <laughs> and they're like, I know we have to say this dumb stuff. And that feels like sort of what the whole thing is like, yeah, we still have to call this morphin' time <laughs> and like 
get in your Zord uh, real quick. So I uh, that part st- does feel a little bit. It pulls me out of it a little bit, despite uh, the fact that I thought the story was good. I'm kind of with you, Justin. I will say Ryan Parrott has done a great job. Every issue that I've read of his run on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers has hit way above its weight in terms 100%. of what I expected. Also, the design of the evil Power Rangers yeah. here is pretty cool and kind of scary. I, I really love like, the sharp teeth over their mouth. I thought that was very neat. Yeah. And um, the way that the, they sort of resolved the story, I thought, was I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, uh, sort of going through te- the technology into their personal life and sort of popping out and, like, almost rebooting the system in a way. I feel like that's not spoiling much because I'm describing a very technical aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. It's always a very pleasant surprise reading these books. I will go back to my frequently afraid about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, though, which is... Just do the Megazord first. Like, stop wasting time and just get to that first. Oh, because you on, always dude. end with that. They're always like, we've ran out of every possibility. You can't just wait do- a second. Wait, don't can't we like form like a big Zord and we have a sword there? And if we just did that once, wouldn't that solve the problem? Well, you have to wait I and see. I just thought if, of that off the top. If of my Rita Repulsa is going to throw down the exactly. bomb to cause the monster yeah. to grow to be yeah. tall. Yeah, that's true. I guess I'm not And I really guess you could argue maybe Rita Repulsor should start by throwing a big <laughs> monster down there and not a tiny monster. Tell you what, if I ever human. sucked into this world, I have notes. Wow. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to be first you, guy killed. That means, Alex, you're going to be squished. You're be squished <laughs> 100%. I'm not going to have time to give my notes. Next yeah. up, the Sandman Universe Nightmare Country number six from DC Comics, written by, once again, James Town of the Fourth, art by Maria Lovett. This is not a one-shot issue, but this is an issue that takes a turn a little bit to somebody who looks very like James Town of the Fourth, who is named James. And talks named Jamie and talks Jamie. about um, being a writer who had a, yeah, exactly. a, a sample a that was about kids being um, lost in a forest, which yeah. was what JT4's first yeah. book was, if we yeah. remember. And he is tasked by Hollywood with writing a story about what happened in the first five issues. He encounters Thessaly, the nearly immortal witch from the Sandman. And uh, I'll tell you what, the first Four issues of this book, I was like, this is great. I love how they're like bringing in the Corinthian, but mostly creating this yeah. new stuff. And then the fifth issue, which we talked about, was this very like, oh, shit. Oh, this yeah, is a Sandman oh, book. Oh, there's all the Sandman yeah. stuff going on. And then six issue continues that where I was like, ah, <laughs> so it's just hitting on this like very endorphin rush or visceral level <laughs> of giving me what I want as a Sandman fan while still doing these phenomenal stories that delve into horror. I love this book. Uh, this I mean, was, it was like a sort of a mighty endorphin writing strangers. You oh know? boy. Um, so this was, I, this was really intense. Like I was really kind of like, it was uh, blown away by how intense and creepy this issue was. It, it's doing a great job of building and heightening on what, everything that was happening before. Uh, and it's also really tripped out. And took some crazy turns with the art. I, I, I was I was super impressed by the writing and and blown away by the art. This is a heck of a package that continues to deliver. Yeah, I love. I mean, you, when you get a writer like uh, James Tynan the Fourth in here JT4. to really you can just say to really weave a story in the Sandman universe um, that can still be a story on its own and isn't just hitting the marks like. He's a meticulous writer, and so he's a perfect person to have doing this book. I, I agree. It's great. 
And you mentioned the art piece. This is by Maria Lovett, who is from, I believe, one of your favorite, you would say, yes, fucked up sex Pete books. love this book. Faithless. Uh, she did such a great job there. You always wanted us to talk about every issue of that. And Justin and I were like, I don't know, that's a little messed up. You can't read it on the subway. And you're like, no, no, I love it. I no, mean, that's really exactly get, how it went down, it Alex. It really you, floats you're my You're not boat. changing the story at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Pete, would crawl well, in, Pete would crawl into the conductor's booth on the subway to read it. And still, <laughs> and still be creeped out. <laughs> because the conductor was there and it was very tight. But he was like, it's very intimate, honestly. If you're crawling up. into that room and you're reading like a lightly pornographic comic, yeah. you're making a move. Yeah. You were like, hey, check this out. She's doing an entire painting, but it's made out of period blood. What do you think? Oh, anyway, I've, anyway, I've, anyway I've can bumped, I get off? I, does this get off at 23rd? No. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I bumped into that conductor when I'm kissing Pete awake in the morning a bunch of times. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, this book is so good. It's uh, a very amazing to have Maria Lovett on this one shot, and it seems to be spinning off into the Dead Boys Detective book that's coming out. Honestly, this is the most excited I've been about Sandman Universe stuff in a very long time, and I can't wait to read this spinoff as well. Next up, Sins of the Black Flamingo, number four from Image Comics, written by Andrew Wheeler, art by Travis Moore. This is the second to last issue of this book, as our main character, the Black Flamingo, recovers from, you know, being killed and stuff, and tries to figure out what to do with the angel that he has found that is being coveted by a bunch of demons. Love the art of this book. Travis Moore's art is, uh, I think we've said this before, but like Greg Land, but good. <laughs> and Andrew Greg Land, but you don't, you when you see the Entertainment Weekly article that Greg Land ripped off, you're not mad about it? Yeah, exactly. You know what or I mean? Entertainment Weekly. Aviat Awards, I think, is okay. Okay, wow, like nice. Um, <laughs> wow. But while Andrew Wheeler's. Uh, and I say this as somebody who enjoys Greg Land stuff, but like Travis Moore is doing it, but like doing it the right way. Andrew Wheeler's writing is very nuanced and funny, and this is has stakes at the same time. Loving how this book is going, and I'm very sad that it is ending next issue. Yeah, I thought you were going to say I watched the AVN Awards for the awards. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, the story is great. There's really amazing characters in this. They do a great job of building the action. Um, you know, it's uh, and you know, there's nothing worse than when someone wakes you up from a really nice sex dream. So you know, uh, this is this is a fun uh, a fun. Book. Sorry, Pete. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I agree. By the way, you this... didn't specify where you kiss Pete, right, Justin? <laughs> oh, Stay tuned. Uh, what I love about this book is that the the mythology that's being constructed here is really good and sort of done at a uh, at a pace, like not like here's what's happening. It's all this fighting between these different. It's like sort of like teased out over the course of these uh, the whole series, and I think that's it's rare to have that patience. And I think this book is doing a great job with it. Next up, Superman Space Age, number two from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Mike Allred and Laura Allred. This is a monster of a book at almost uh, more than 80 pages, I think, as we continue to follow the Superman during Space Age, as mentioned. But it is essentially Mark Russell recontextualizing Crisis on Infinite Earths in a very similar way to the way Marvel did the... Oh, my gosh. I'm forgetting what it's called, but the, the, the Fantastic Four and the Spider-Man books. Oh, yeah. That I think were, Mark Russell did one of them. Yeah, he did the Fantastic Four one. Yeah. And it feels very similar to that where it's 
taking it and grounding it in a semi-realistic perspective, but then spinning it out in a new way. This is phenomenal. I know I said this on the live show. I know I said this is the first issue, but I'll read anything that Mark Russell writes. I'll read anything that Mike Allred and Laura Arrow Allred do the art for. Putting them together is a home run, in my opinion. Yeah, this uh, this comic was so emotional and so well done. Uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck here. This is quite a cool, not only take, but just, uh, you know, you spend some time with Superman inside his head a little bit. It's just really impressive comics and uh, worth picking up. Emotional moment for Pete. Um, what I love about this, we talk about a lot of writers here who, uh, like, we're about to talk about Tom King um, in his work on The Human Target. And uh, just, and James Tyne in the fourth, masters of, like, JT putting Wolf. characters um, and, and putting them against each other. Mark Russell is a little bit the flip. He's about just, like, if those character, if Tom King is writing uh, chess pieces, um, Mark Russell's writing the board. He's laying out this world and premise that is uh, a perfect space for all these things to take place in. The way that he brings in Batman, the rest of the Justice League. Oh, man, yeah. Um, written with, with humor, but at the same time getting into sort of the pathos and the real emotional details of all these characters. It, it's it's really great writing, and it's rare to find that blend of great superhero storytelling and humor and like leaving you with a real philosophical point and an emotional message at the end. Uh, Plus, this book is great, and there's more to come. Plus, you've seen Superman and Lois so many different ways. Uh, this, you know, doesn't feel like any of that, you know, and it's a, it's so much to the writing as well as the art. It just it's, there's some heat there. You're saying there's some romance. Yeah, That's great beautiful. stuff. Stillwater number fifteen from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez. And this issue had taken a little bit of a time Steve. jump, I believe, as the town of Stillwater has taken over the neighboring town of Coldwater. Things are not going great, and into it is our main character, who's now become sort of a prophet slash revolutionary against everything that is going on in Stillwater with the town that lives forever. As usual, there's some big changes going on here. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, 15 issues in, and then we get a real big swerve that, like, could topple all the other swerves. It's impressive. It's impressive that this still, after 15 issues, is still making such huge creative choices. Um, yeah, this kind of town uh, that won't die is going through so much, and it's uh, it's a real kind of interesting take, amazing art. You want to talk about great faces, the the kind of last panel face is pretty, pretty, pretty legendary. Um, yeah, that, this continues to be a powerhouse of a comic, and it delivers every issue. It's uh, It's been a fun read. I'm excited to see where this thing's going to go and how it's going to land. For the last couple of issues, I felt like the story is almost like in danger of flying off the tracks. They This town that where people didn't die expanded into another town. It feels like it's too much to organize. The characters in this issue are talking a lot about, like, I don't know how to get turned off their social media. Like, I'm like, it's a, there's a low-level stress and tension that we're feeling. And then we get a reveal at the end of this issue that sort of flips it back and sort of turns the control knob back up on the story in a great way. So I think this is a... Are you crying now? 
Yeah, I am crying. Oh well, uh, vomit. I'm vomiting. Um, I feel like there's just such a, um, a, a control here that I think is really, uh, really great. The Human Target, number seven from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. In this issue, Fire is testing the Human Target to find out if he's good enough for ice. And we get some sequences to that effect. And then we also get a big reveal in terms of the future murder mystery of who killed the human target a couple of days from now. Every issue of this is great. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) this is just so cool. So suave. It, it feels like this kind of noir, but like the color and the art in this is just so well done. There's like a rhythm to this comic. There's just such a vibe and feel. It's really, really impressive and continues to be really impressive. This is one of my favorite issues, if you can kind of have one of all this. But yeah, I was just uh, really enjoying the kind of uh, uh, romance check or the kind of reality check that uh, a human target had to go through here. So uh, very cool. This is the sexiest comic. Right? <laughs> this comic is it's not sexual it's not aggressively sexual but this comic is just like hot it's like the sexual tens- tension in every issue is wild it feels like everyone talks about like oh james bond man he can really like he really turns women on or turn, like and i'm just like in those movies that's there's not a lot of that this comic has that to the absolute most amount in any any sort of medium I've seen lately, it's really well done. The art and Tom King's writing just blends so well. Um, I want to read more of this. I feel like we've just had a little break and we're coming back to the main title for the last run. I want to read hundreds of issues of this. Yeah, totally agree. Next up, one of my favorite books on the stands currently, I Hate This Place, number five from Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Artyom Toplin. In this issue, we're dealing with the fallout of the last issue, where our antagonist, robber, murderer, dude, has seemingly been sucked into the center of the earth in, from this crazy yeah. house where literally everything horrible that can happen happens. Things take some twists and turns here. We get some new information that's going to kick off the next arc. Um Yeah, it's great. Uh, like I've said, every issue, Kyle Starks is finding the perfect mix of Insane horror and humor. Art Young Toplin is the perfect partner for this. Good book. We also uh, we get the kind of title in this issue. Uh, one of the characters say the title, so that's always fun. Yes, very fun. And they say the actual title, too, which is Fuck This Place, not I Hate This Place. But <laughs> still good stuff. Yeah, I I love this comic. It's it's really dark in all the right ways. You get some cool characters and uh, the action's insane and over the top. This is just great image comics making great image comics. And uh, man, I hope this continues. I feel like there aren't a lot of comics out there where I'm like, ah, I don't know if these main characters are going to make it. <laughs> this guy, their the odds are stacked against them. There are too many ghosts in this world. Um, and let alone the human threats, this but this comic manages on top of all this horror to put some like great, like Pete's saying, great romance and a great relationship at the center. And uh, by the end, builds up sort of the next phase of what's yeah. coming. Um, I hate this place. I love this comic. 
Nice. Ant-Man number guys. three for Marvel, written yeah, by yeah. Al Ewing, art by Tom Raleigh. In this issue, as we were continuing to jump through the history of Ant-Man, we focus on Scott Lang and his daughter Cassie, as well as uh, the I did not realize was a robot second version of Eric O'Grady. Yeah. I must have missed that issue at some point when that happened. But they go up against each other, and then we get some weird time madness in the middle there, as well as the reveal of maybe what the big villain of this series has been. Like we said, every issue here, I think this is such a delightful jaunt through the history of Ant-Man that I wasn't expecting. Al Ewing continues to do very mind-bedding, but classic stuff. And Tom Riley's art is awesome throughout here. Yeah, I just think this is a great package. This team up really kills it on Ant-Man. This is a really not only fun run, but also the twists and turns that this story takes. Uh, it's very interesting and very cool. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's very, very enjoyable book. Um, I, what I love uh, in addition to all of that, cause I agree, I really like this book. There's a little bit of sort of uh, breaking the fourth wall, um, mm -hmm. at the end here about like, sort of like climax building. Uh, there's like a computer voice saying that, and it's just refreshing to see, um, a, a Marvel project break the fourth wall. You know, when, <laughs> when have we seen that, uh, happening sort of currently, um, great to really see it working. This is fun. Next up, The Nice House on the Lake, number 10 from DC Comics, written by James Tynan IV. Once again, JT4. art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. In this issue, we're finding out a lot more about how this whole society works, and we get to see what I would suggest is the moment when it all breaks that we've been teasing from the very first yeah. issue. So this is a very big issue for this comic. Justin, I know you've been enjoying this. What did you think about this one? Love this comic. This is great standalone uh, sci-fi. This feels like if, I mean, it would be maybe hard to cram all the ideas into a movie, but like a, a limited series, I think this would be amazing. It feels so like, slick and the the dramatic turns that feel so disparate when we start reading the issue and come together in a way uh by the end is is really great yeah i just um i feel like this is creepy in all in a weird amazing ways like the, the design and the layouts uh this the kind of slow reveal of more and more information as we're going along here the pace of it's really impressive and we kind of get a big mic drop here in this issue so i'm i'm nervously excited about where this is going next i have up, a similar uh, app for you guys that's actually discussed in the book so i can um oh, that'd be great. Change, you've been controlling us you have that weird head that kind of wow well, we're going to talk about weird justin said is right now it's very weird he just got a haircut right pete Hey! <laughs> That's a very inside joke. Eight billion genies, number five. Subscribe on face. Follows on Facebook. <laughs> Eight billion genies, number five from Image Comics, written by Charles Saul, art by Ryan Brown. In this issue, we uh, well, I finally realized that we were going multiples of eight every issue. We were going from eight hours to eight days to eight weeks to eight months. Something I just didn't pick up on. Didn't because pick I'm up. Very it's, stupid. That's okay. Cornell it's didn't get stupid. it. 
Yeah, they didn't teach that at Cornell. But anyway, everybody on Earth Pay has attention. a genie, but we are down to 50 million people on Earth at this point, and we're getting some reveals in terms of what people are doing at uh, both in the bar that we've been following as well as in the outside world. There's some big changes there. Every issue is, is great. I love the unlimited creativity on display. Yeah, I agree. It's a great way to kind of put it um, – it, yeah, it continues to build this. I really enjoyed this issue because of the fact of like, we're really exploring this idea of what the what would happen to the world if everybody got wishes and what a fucking shit show it would be. And uh, now we're kind of seeing the people who are waiting this out and what's going on in the little pockets of uh, different people and how that's going to all kind of... Uh, uh, affect everybody that we kind of know here. So yeah, this continues to be crazy creative, super fun to read. And every time I, you know, it's in the stack, I'm always like, Oh crap, where are we going with this? How is this going to kind of, it's uh, something that I really look forward to and they've been really delivering on. Yeah. And I love this sort of the bit we get here. That's uh, that feels like a little bit of a standalone issue. This sort of cold open into the character reveal. Yeah. Who I guess we met at the end of last issue. Uh, really interesting character. Like everyone's saying, the amount of ideas on display here is awesome and moving so quickly. Um, this is the same team that did Curse Words, right? Yeah. Um, sure and, and I feel like this book is just, and Curse Words is great, but this feels like it's just moving so much further and faster at the same time. Uh, we don't have to put this. something down to enjoy. I'm not putting it down. I'm okay. saying, I'm basically Curse saying Words if you're, is bad is what you're saying, no. and 8 Billion Genies is good. I'm All saying right, if we you're gotta, a fan of Curse Words and somehow haven't found this book, you're going to want to check it out. All right, but let's talk about it. Peas and milk. You guys you guys going to – I'll tell you what. I made peas for dinner for my kids, and so this was really – honestly, really hit me. <laughs> First time really you saw yourself on screen, right? 100%. Defenders Beyond, number three for Marvel, written once again by Al Ewing, art by Javier Rodriguez. In this issue, a bunch of crazy things are happening. <laughs> yeah, yep. what else do you have to say about this? Um, uh, it's funny, we talked about Al Ewing early on on the Ant-Man book, which feels like it's still wildly creative and all over the place in a good way, but there are guardrails there. This feels like do whatever you want. And then there's so many but, characters in this issue being like eating a sandwich, being like, oh, you think that's crazy? Watch this. And then they do something <laughs> crazy. Like it's So it is like a wild almost... Um, just like jam session of superhero ideas and characters who we don't get to see a lot of. I love that Tigra, uh, a character I love, is sort of maybe a linchpin here. Uh, I love the scene. I just want to mention the scene where Tigra is like, you think that I'm just somebody who looks like a tiger? I am a tiger god! And turns into the giant tiger god. And I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I enjoy looking at this. Yeah, the the tripped out art is what I'm excited to talk about in this. The panels, uh, they just took away the panels and let the artist draw these huge, big, uh, uh, creative things that are not only just kind of beautiful, but tripped out and weird and crazy. And it's just one of those comics that I wanted to hold in real life to kind of like really kind of get a sense of because seeing it online... um, I don't know. It just it doesn't feel as big as it should. But man, yeah, really tripped out fun. The art's really impressive in this. 
Action Comics 1047 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Ricardo Federici and David Lapham. Kal-El is back on Earth and fighting who else? Lex Luthor, though he may or may not Uh, know that yet. This is dealing with the fallout of the War World saga uh, as Kal-El re-assimilates himself to the planet uh, and assures the planet that it's not a big deal that War World is hanging outside of their orbit. Uh, what did you guys think about this? I know we were very big on the War World saga, but now that we're past that, how do you feel about this new arc? Well, I do love the Superman and Lois in the air stuff. I thought that was really uh, very touching and very cool. But yeah, I'm I'm Sexy. excited to see where this is going to kind of move and what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like after that huge arc, you know, what's going on next. And this is all kind of like setting this up. And it's got kind of like a little little creepy feel to it. You know what I mean? What about you, Justin? Can you feel it coming in the air tonight? Oh my! A hundred percent. I feel like the War World War World story was um, a Superman story, but it was removed. It was like about Superman, and not we weren't sort of with Superman. It was almost mythological uh, about Superman rising up and and winning War World. And in this this issue feels like it's a Lex Luthor story almost like we're with Metallo for a part of it. Um, a broken down Metallo that I think is going to become a big threat to Superman. Love that. I love that part of the story, but the rest of it, even the Superman side feels like it's Lex Luthor's worry about Superman made good. He's like, this person is coming here and he's going to only cause problems for earth. He's brought a war, a place called war world in our orbit. Problem, And then Lex Luthor is like, let me poke around and see what's up. Um, so it feels like Lex Luthor is sort of going to become a little bit more prominent. And maybe we are a little bit riding with Lex in this issue. So I'm curious how that will play play out going forward. Yeah. Department of Truth, number 21 from Image Comics, written by James Town of the Fourth, art by Martin Thank Simmons. In this issue, we are exploring the vault in Fort Knox. Which not only exists, but is a hidey hole for a bunch of things the Department of Truth has wanted to hide away. We're going hidey, hidey, hidey hole. Got you. We're going further into the origins of the Department of Truth and how it pivots with the similar department over in Russia in this issue. As usual, I love these mythological episodes, mythological episodes, mythological issues that really delve into the origins of Department of Truth while not ignoring our main characters. That's where I feel like this series is strongest. Yeah, this is a great issue. Uh, the kind of cutout art and the really uh, big swings that they take artistically is just so impressive and so cool. Really kind of fits this whole conspiracy world so well. Uh, yeah, the whole Fort Knox thing is a fun thing to explore and done in such a kind of weird, crazy, impressive way. This uh, this comic is as creative as it is weird and, and impressive. So this continues to be kind of this fun juggernaut uh, that is definitely worth checking out. Um, I feel like this comic has officially become like what it's like to hang out with your like highest friend. (laughs) (laughs) Who I guess is Pete technically in my life. Um, It's like, like it's constantly sort of reestablishing the premise while also being like, yeah, but what about, what about the Mothman? Have you thought about that? (laughs) And then when this issue is sort of like, yo, what if his 
boyfriend was like also part of it. It's like, what? Like, so it, it does a good job of constantly reminding us of what's going on while pushing not in one direction, but in like four directions all the time. Um, and that's a, that's a difficult tone to strike. And I maybe isn't for everyone, but I, I certainly like it. And I think it's doing well. Thunderbolts number two from Marvel, written by Jim Zub, art by Sean Isaacs. In this issue, the new Thunderbolts are dealing with their second mission and taking on a new member. I think we generally enjoyed the first issue and we're curious to see how it played out in the second issue. So given that, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this to me was... uh... Really, all about um, uh, what was he? Egros here. He was hysterical. I loved him. I want more. Um, um, I'm trying to just, uh, I'm paging through it right here to try to get to uh, um, uh, the Unbreakable. Yeah, just really uh, Egro, the Unbreakable. Really funny. He's short. He breaks stuff. Ah, it's my wheelhouse. It's what really do you like about head. that? Those qualities: short, break stuff. What do yeah. you think? What, do you, what are your favorite parts? My about two, those? two favorite. Do you things. identify with those at all? Uh, I identify with one of them for sure. But yeah, I just uh, Ooh, which one? The, the short. The short. You part. break uh, stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I know I do, but it's not. Um, it's not my favorite thing. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I think it's fun. You know, we kind of got uh, you know. Or the arrow guy just kind of stumbling through things. It's fun to see Luke Cage upset at him. I, I just, uh, I you know, this is just fun. They're ha- it seems like they're having fun with Thunderbolts, which uh, sounds like a good time. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, sort of bearing the the standard of like West Coast Avengers. Like Hawkeye even lists all these teams. There's some good jokes in here. Secret Avengers. Um, what Secret Avengers? Oh, that's a secret. You don't know about it. Yeah. Like. All that stuff is fun. The characters each have their own little mysteries going on. And there are some characters who we don't know anything about them. Um, So I I do think this is doing a good job. This reminds me of like reading New Warriors back in the 90s or any comic that was like, here's a fun team with some a little bit of mystery, but a lot of fun. And they're going to go on some adventures and have some fights. And I'm here for that. Cool. The Vampire Slayer number six from Boom Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Sonia Lau. In this issue, we pivot to the perspective of Xander, who has been training with Spike, who may or may not have some nefarious designs on the Vampire Slayer, who is now Willow in this continuity. I'll tell you what, and maybe this is a little hyperbolic, but... With this issue, I feel like I can confidently say this is my favorite Buffy thing since the TV series. Whoa. Well, it's funny you say that because when I was reading this, I was like, this feels like it really has captured the tone of the show better than any of the other comics. Even though it's like the twist of Willow being the Slayer and everything being a little bit different, it's still able to just capture the the comedy meets the drama meets the vampireness of it all in a way that it's a hard formula to crack mm-hmm. and the comic has done it. Yeah. Pete. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying this. I love all this stuff with everybody kind of knowing something is wrong with Buffy. I'm super into the mystery of why she is no longer the slayer. Why Willow is the slayer. Yeah. Like you said, I think the tone is absolutely correct. They've, 
figured out the soap opera of it all. I really like the last Vampire Slayer book that Sarah Gelly wrote as well. And I think she's absolutely crushing it with these books. I've been very happy with this. Next up, Skybound presents After School number three from Image Comics, written by Jill Blotevogel, art by Marley Zarkoon and Lisa Sterl. This is a horror sci-fi fantasy anthology that Skybound and Image Comics are running. And in this issue, we get... Yet another done-in-one tale. Pete, I feel like you might have liked this one. Maybe. Yeah, I did. I did. What'd I liked it a lot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was a little upset that it, fin- it took, you know, uh, this murderer to break in the house before this lady finally spent some time with her sister. But, you know, that's what it's like being the youngest. You know what I mean? Like, nobody takes you seriously. You try to explain that the person you're talking to is a murderer. But they just, you know, they don't hear you. You know, well, so you got to prove it. To be it. clear, this is a autistic kid and her sister who is babysitting her. The parents are very absent and not paying attention. Um, The older sister has been talking to somebody remotely. And in the midst of that, a masked killer comes in and starts stalking them and killing them. Scary. I think I I made that all clear. Yeah, basically said the same words. Um, This this book was scary. What I like about this sort of – this anthology series, it is targeted to like after school stories, almost like after school specials elevated mm-hmm. to the horror mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. And um, this one does sort of the the classic babysitter trope, um, but done really well. It's there are a couple of good twists and turns, horrifying deaths at points. Uh, I thought I really like all three of the stories in this series have been really good. The Amazing Spider-Man number 10 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Nick Dragoda. In this issue, we are tying into the current Judgment Day storyline, which has found a celestial judging everybody, not just on a planetary basis, but appearing to them individually, potentially as people they love. And in this issue, of course, who shows up at Spider-Man's door than Gwen Stacy in or rather the celestial in the form of Gwen Stacy to judge him. This uh, issue is a emotional Adam Bob. Is Th- what it this like. this is my this is my favorite read of the week. Like we've talked about this crossover as something that is like not really operating in the right way. Like it's super high, heady and high level and not giving us any sort of character perspective on what's going on in a premise that we like the idea that a celestial is judging every single person in the Marvel universe is super interesting, especially from a hero perspective, but we haven't really been in any of the heroes heads. This issue gives us the most intense gut punch <laughs> after gut punch of all here. Uh, and then Nick Dragota art just capitalizes on that. We get just so much wide-eyed Peter Parker, wide-eyed Gwen Stacy. I, I'm a. If I had to choose all of the the Peter Parker relationships, I'm more of a Mary no. Jane guy. I don't know if anyone else on the, this panel really, uh, really Dude, agrees you, with me. Don't. Uh, but you like, can't, so you can't <laughs> say you're a Mary Jane guy and then talk about how much you love the Gwen Stacy comic, bro. More uh, you Carly, can Carly Cooper over here. But go ahead. No, good, strong, strong choice. Uh, Betty Brandt, anybody? Yeah, no? sure. Um, the, the girl from Amazing Spider-Man 2 that lives in the apartment Ursula, next door. Ursula did come back. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I know you're joking about that, but that is the proper girl for Toby Maguire's That's hit. That's hit on Twitter lately. I feel like everyone's talking about that for some reason. I love Ursula did come No, of course. Me too. And She's as far as great. The character, 30 Rock. Yeah. Great. Um, 
But let me say more realistically, like this Gwen Peter moment, the the series of moments that happen here. It is so emotionally intense, and it's just the best version of that that I've seen in so long. Some great reveals of, like, uh, other characters along the way and what character they see judging them. Um, it was just – this issue caught me off guard and is by far the best thing that's come out of this crossover that I've read. I feel like uh, Jordan D. White is fucking with me because uh, it feels like – uh, Marvel knows that uh, Spider-Man fans are fucking upset at what the fuck they're doing. And the fact that they're not only dragging their feet to get this character back to where it belongs, but now they're doing like a fucking romance issue with Gwen is just like, I don't, I don't, I don't want this. It's beautiful. It's very touching. It's very moving. But the, I don't fucking want this shit. I don't want this he, shit at all. I, I, want I just you want to, to clarify for our listeners that Jordan D. White does not edit this book nor have anything to do with this no. book. But he works ahead. at Marvel, goddammit. That's yeah. true. So does um, the uh, janitor. Yeah, somebody better start fucking talking and making some goddamn moves. Yeah, well, we need some answers. Um, my big reaction, other than this was like legitimately made me tear up when I was reading this book, which I 100% did not expect. Also, it made me very frustrated because this shows the power of these sort of crossovers when they go line wide. And the fact that we're not getting that, we're getting that in some respects in some books, but the idea of like, Exactly what we're talking about. A celestial judges everybody in the Marvel Universe. That should be a slam dunk for every single title in the entire Marvel line for this week or month or whatever they're talking about when uh, this issue of Judgment Day comes out. They should be doing the same thing for every one of these issues. I know that's not how modern comics work, but at the same time, being able to do this, I would love to see that as like, Daredevil is presented with Karen Page or whoever, you know, I like do it in Punisher. He already has his wife. So who shows up in Punisher when the celestial is gone? But like these present gone, there's a certain restriction in doing (laughs) these line wide crossovers. But at the same time, these restrictions open up possibilities for storytelling that are really interesting. And it also creates for fans comparison of like, yeah, that Punisher issue didn't work because just Microchip showed up and it didn't really have the emotional connection versus this Gwen Stacy issue with Spider-Man. But that's what makes comics and particularly the big two comics so great. I wish they would just go for it. I miss it. I know I'm lamenting something that's not going to come back again, but this issue really made me feel that of like, oh, do that do that for all of these. I want to feel this all-encompassing this event is so big, it can't be contained in one book. It's spilling out into all of these other things. Well, I appreciate your frustration, Zell, because it's like, when are they going to write their ship with Spider-Man? You know what I mean? Like, when are they going to nope. put things back no, to where it I'm fucking saying. belongs and stop fucking around? Here's, Here's the, thing. the thing. I know you're pissed. I know you're pissed, Pete. They, in the issue, it's referenced that yeah, Peter I has know. gone 
through an emotional thing. So like, what do you, like, I know you want everything immediately all the time um, in the moment, but like, I think if you just wait, that's the story that this comic is telling. Well, that's the other thing that I'll shout out about this book is like, even as a crossover with Judgment Day, it still gives these enormous teases for whatever happened with Spider-Man, which is still this ongoing mystery. It was like, oh my God, give it to me now. I want to know. So well done. So good. Such a great issue, even if you haven't been reading Spider-Man. Amazing stuff with Norman Osborn, too, and got me Everybody, so excited for the next star. Great Aunt May moment. J. Jonah oh Jameson God, moment. Uh, like, oh we get Aunt everything moment, here. Dude. This, this is phenomenal. This Aunt is a May phenomenal moment. issue. She's good. She time. better not. She better pass, man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> she better pass. Yeah. What's your your you've been broken? Pete, yep. Your your brain is broken. Yep, and that's fine. But like, you should know that she better <laughs> pass so that well, I don't want to. I don't have time. That's Maybe not how it logic works. That's a so. That's what a sociopath. I kind of want to know, but like also I don't want to know at all. How do you know? How I know? House of Slaughter number nine for Boom Studios, written by Sam Johns, art by Leticia Cardunici. In this issue, we're delving further into the mystery of this arc as we delve into the backstory of our main character, who is part of the House of Slaughter. What do you guys think about this one? I just this this is so fun. I mean, because we're kind of exp- we're branching out, right? We had this kind of amazing main story that we know about and now we're kind of exploring different houses and how it all works and how people are selected and all this kind of stuff and this is just such a creepy artistic um kind of issue that's uh, it's very very cool and also kind of raises the stakes moving forward uh i've been eating up this series and really enjoying it and i can't wait for more because anytime I see a House of Slaughter book or anything uh, associated with it, uh, I'm like all in. Yeah, I love these uh, books as well. It, I, this this uh, chapter, this um, arc has been a little bit hard to understand exactly what's going on all the time. Um, but um, I like I think the art's great and I really like a lot of the moves. I just want it to really crystallize, and I think we're getting there maybe next issue. Last but not least, Lazarus Risen, number seven from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, art by Michael Lark. This is the final issue of this book that I believe is nine months in the making, something like that. I I think a full year, maybe. Yeah. It's been a while, and we do have one more miniseries to go with the Lazarus books, but this is a huge one if you've been picking it up. Huge revelations, huge changes for the world of Lazarus. We kind of find out, honestly, the origin of everything, why everything that has been going on has been going on here. So even with the absence, it was so phenomenal to have this back. And I think they kind of made it a little bit of an easier jumping on point because it has it's been so long. But man, love this issue. Love the tension, the like sipping of the coffee, getting the message as she keeps drinking, like so intense, delivered on so many levels. And then kind of like that gut punch. Uh, towards the end there oh man this was an unbelievable issue uh just love the tension the the art they this is just 
really impressive comics making here. Uh, I just want to mention real quick, uh, this is the seventh issue of, I want to say, the fourth or fifth miniseries in the Lazarus series. This is yeah. not a good jumping on point. No, no you, can just, you can just jump right in on this no, issue. You don't need to read anything else. You can just jump right in. We can pick right up and pick everything that's up. Yeah, there's literally too much. And this 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 series went, I believe, quarterly and took on a different format, and it's still been uh, a year um, to get it out. I, I want to say how hard it would be to actually write a message on the inside of a coffee cup. How oh, would you man. do that? Would you have to have a marker that was yeah. like had a, a curve in it, like a little mm-hmm. an angle in it? Well, or I think you, you have to print it, but also you need to know how much the person is going to sip each time to go to a different. Oh, line, you got to so. practice the sipping. Yeah, it's a whole oh, thing. But how do you practice someone else's sip? Well, I guess it's hot <laughs> coffee, so you're not going to take a gulp. <laughs> I right? do sometimes. I don't you take know. a hot gulp. I like a hot or- gulp, man. Or you could write the message on the clay and then make the teacup. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you know. You should rewatch Ghost because I don't know if you know how pottery works. <laughs> the clay? And that's how, the best way to understand pottery is watching the movie Ghost. It's <laughs> in my mind. Rewatch Ghost. You need to. I've been wanting to say that works. for a while. Pete, I don't want to say that for a while. He makes all of his uh, bugs in art class. Yep. In elementary school. And then yeah, he, he was yeah. like, I'm good. Fire up the kiln. Let's get it going, bro. Drinks <laughs> <laughs> all want his a... coffee out of an ashtray. Yeah. I, I want a Pete made by Pete mug. Can we do this for the holiday party, which is something Can you believe that, had. though? Like, uh, obviously, I'm aging myself here. But the fact that, I mean, you guys probably have this in art class, too. They're like, yeah, make an ashtray. Everybody smokes. <laughs> I don't know if changed. I ever made an ashtray, but oh, really? I don't know. Oh, what you're, year too you're, young. you're too young. I mean, I didn't do it. I Honestly, I want to get on board with your old shit all the time. But I, this one, I don't know. Um, I love Lazarus. It's one of my favorite series. The entire run I've been a fan of. Um, this is huge revelations. Michael Lark's art is um, great. It's a little more polished in a way. Like I had to look back and make sure it was him, especially for the first bit of this book. So I was sort of surprised by that, but really great. They're going to take a year off out of this, which is pretty wild if you read the back matter, to really get ahead and then release the book monthly going back to its roots as just a, an image comic. So wow. it'll go back to sort of a more standard format and come out monthly sometime in the future. But this book is so thoughtfully made from a writing and arting and a arting drawing perspective. Like it's, <laughs> it's very good. The, so and, and the other the thing, is. if you haven't read it, it's very anti-corporation and or anti-corporate culture. And the fact that the ideas that are present here are still so valid and vital today, even though the book has been coming out for, I don't know, five years, six years, maybe a longer, decade, I think. something like Honestly, that. Honestly, if you go back and read the back matter that Greg Rucka has done for years, he predicts a ton of like conglomeration and like bad shit happening in our world. And he even says in the back, you want to know why this took so long? Sure, COVID was part of it, but the world has been stressing me the fuck out. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Great book. And that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support us, oh, are you podcast, sure? There isn't. There isn't no, any we have more. five more books. Oh, if you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to broadcast on YouTube. Cut back out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. 
Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And I hate to break to you, Zal, but when you mess up the bowl, then they say to you, oh, you could just turn it into an ashtray. Oh, no. Wow, slam. <laughs> P, what time tomorrow? 8.45? Tomorrow morning? <laughs> yep. That's great. Wake up, kids awake. Yeah. No, I got it. The dick Did kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that out. Yeah, I'll leave it in. Got my dick.